Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Well, we're in our uh, final message here in the great series, looking at character traits of God. And so uh, Pastor Mark and I are, um, are talking today about, about God being a rescuer, that he's a rescuer. And, and so uh, I'm going to start us off, and then, and then in the middle of it, we're going to honor uh, those who uh, uh, we just love and appreciate so much with our military and our police and our fire, uh, both former and current. Uh, we're going to honor you with a gift, and then Mark's going to uh, take us home in the series and then take us right to communion uh, today, and then we're going to worship uh, for, with a number of songs at the end of, of communion there. But as we look at today about God being a rescuer, of course, it's, it's, it's all throughout Scripture. Um, you see it from uh, basically... Uh, Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation 21 about the rescuing nature uh, of God and, and that in its own could be a, a one-year journey in the Bible uh, and it'd be, it'd be something you still have to have time left over to do. Uh, but when we look at being rescued by God, the reality is this, we are saved out of something and we're transferred into this, into this eternal kingdom at salvation. He says, you are no longer a part of this world. You are now a part of an eternal world, and you are here temporarily. You are sojourners. You are passers through. You are, you are temporary visitors because your residence is in heaven. We are bought back by the blood of Jesus on the, on the cross, which we're going to celebrate later with communion. We're forgiven by that blood. The shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins one time by Jesus, did it all. No more sacrifices, no more yearly things done. It is covered for all time. And the reality is this, there is no greater news than that. Transferred into an eternal kingdom, bought back by the one who created us, forgiven of all of our sins. We will live eternally as as those who are saved and and following Jesus. There is no greater news than that. So nothing else really matters in comparison. And then we have this God who, while we're here, he fights for us. We sing the song, the battle belongs to the Lord. We, we read the scriptures, it's, it's in your hands, God. And I'll just walk behind the shield that you are as you battle for me. That's what he does for us. So he does everything. Not only does he rescue us, but then he, he, he rescues us eternally, but then he rescues us along the way. And everybody loves a great rescue story. I've never met a person who doesn't love a great rescue story? Be it Braveheart, which to me is the greatest movie of all time. Or you're watching Toy Story. It's a great rescue story. And you get to laugh. You, re- you watch the movie Argo, uh, minus a lot of the words uh, that you need to silence out. But the story is like, blows your mind. Rescue stories, they captivate our hearts because it's an impossible situation that somebody puts their life on the line to make happen. And then they make it happen. And it's like, wow, that's wild. In Luke chapter 4, we see this this beautiful story. And and Jesus has just been in the desert. A lot of us know that story where he goes and he's tempted for 40 40 days out in the desert. And and God rescues Jesus while he's in the desert. He rescues him by by sustaining him. He rescues him by by being there for him in, in the power of the written word, which he speaks uh, in, in counteracting the lies of the enemy. So he's rescued, and then immediately it says he comes and he walks into the temple 
And he grabs this scroll and he reads from the book of Isaiah about himself. I just can't imagine what the scene's like. I don't know what Jesus would have looked like at the time, 40 days in the desert. I don't know how much after, I don't know if it was uh, right away or if it was days or if he got a chance to uh, shower up or whatever it was. But, but he walks in, he unrolls the scroll and he reads, he reads these words and he says, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim captives are set free and released. The blind will see, oppressed will be set free. My favor is here and it's for you. He leaves the wilderness after being rescued and then he unveils the ultimate rescue plan for us. And these people that he's speaking to, they're longing for a rescuer. They've been under the thumb a long time. Oppression has been all that they've existed in. They have been uh, abused and treated poorly. And so they're looking for a rescuer. So they hear this and they get excited. Of course, that excitement wanes pretty quickly when they realize it's not political rescue that he's bringing. It's eternal rescue. And they're like, we really just want to rule them. That's what they're, they're thinking in their minds. Sadly, they, they're not happy about that. But Jesus always had a bigger plan than the temporary moment. And if you're like me, temporary moments matter, right? I don't like when I'm going through something in the moment. I'm like, rescue me now, 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 now. We all become 10-year-old little kids when we need to be rescued. That's human nature, and Jesus knows that's human nature Sometimes he does do the instant rescue. Most of the time, he has a longer play. Sometimes it feels really long. But he's a rescuer nonetheless. In Isaiah chapter 43, we read about the big rescue that God has planned. And of course, the whole chapter is foretelling Jesus coming to be the Savior of Israel, the Savior of us as, as his grafted in people. And, and so Isaiah, as he's writing this, he, he recites a powerful memory for them. He's talking about the exodus from Egypt, this vile, wicked nation that, that treated them as horribly as a nation's ever been treated by another nation. And so he recounts the story of the exodus, the entire nation being led out of captivity by, by Moses and his team as, as God made a way that was impossible it's a spectacular rescue of an entire nation. And it's still a word for us today. It's a word for some of you where you are or where your family is or a situation you find yourself in. Isaiah writes this as he evokes this, this amazing memory to comfort them and assure them. He says, forget all that. Like that was good, but forget that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. God's talking through Isaiah here. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Anybody feel like they're in a wilderness? He'll make a pathway. Actually, it gets better than that. I'll create rivers in dry wasteland. Anybody feel dry, crusty? Like, there ain't no water in sight. Both what I can see or what I could dig. And God says... I'll make a 
I'll create new rivers in dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and the owls too. Hey, I'm going to do this for you, but even those who I'm not doing it for right now, they're going to be thankful because what I'm doing in your life is going to bless those that live in the wilderness full time. Because it's always about more than just you and me. I'm giving them water in the desert because I'm giving you water, you who follow me and love me and trust me because I'm, I'm making a way in the desert and I'm making a stream in the desert for you. Those who don't even know they're parched and dying are going to be blessed by it. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. He's evoking these memories to comfort them and assure them that this is still what God does. This is how he does it. He makes a way where there is no way. And Isaiah's words are always either a, a snapshot of Jesus or it's a foretelling of what Jesus will do and be. That's all that Isaiah is doing. He's constantly giving us pictures of Jesus to come or a fulfillment of a prophecy. And Jesus still rescues today. So what do you need today? What do you need? You have a God who loves listening to you. What do you need? And I'm not asking you to say, well, it's hard right now or, or things aren't going well. What do you need? I'm watching The Chosen last night from a few weeks ago. And, and some of you may have seen this, this one where he's with the, the man at the, at the, at the, at the pool uh, and he's lame. And Jesus says, says, do you want to be healed? He's given all the reasons why he can't get to the water to be healed. And Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm not asking about what you can't do. Amen. I'm asking you, do you want to be healed? But, but no one will carry me. I'm not asking about what no one will do. Do you want me to heal you? It was powerful. It, it blew me away. I, I was just struck by the heartbeat of Jesus compassionately for us. So what do you need today? What do you want to be saved from today? Do you need to be rescued? Your health, your marriage, relationships, a job, purpose. Maybe you're passionless. Maybe you're like, I'm just mailing life in. I want to be rescued from the mundane. There's probably more people in here or listening that need to be rescued from the mundane than they do from cancer in this room. Amen. And cancer, he wants, to, he wants to free you from cancer. He wants to heal you. Yeah. I'm not the one that heals. I don't know how he does it or when he does it. Or I don't understand all that. I, know I pray for people to be healed, but he also wants to heal people from the mundane, yeah. from mailing it in in life. What darkness is strangling you today? Are you ready to be free today? Maybe it's a spiritual issue. Maybe you're, you're fearful of, of what, what God wants to do in you. And you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for a, like a woo Jesus journey. <laughs> Maybe it's pride. Maybe you are, you, you just, in your mind, you, you know the truth perfectly and you're good with, with your amazing knowledge. I mean, I've been there. That was my life. Maybe you're comfy in what you do and you're like, don't rock my boat. Please don't rock my boat, Jesus. This is good. 
Maybe you just need to be rescued from a religious spirit today. No knock on you, no shame. I was there. I mean, I was like, I don't see what the problem was with Paul before he got saved. I mean, I used to be that guy. I'm like, he sounds convinced. I mean, Paul was. He was this convinced, passionate man doing everything wrong. And then, boom! Lightning face. <laughs> lightning to the face, sorry. Not lightning face. That's a, it's like a Marvel superhero or something. But he gets... This shocking moment in Acts chapter 9, this story, I mean, uh, you've probably read it before, but the conversion of Paul happens, and it, he's, he's walking, he's on his next approach to murder and, and persecute Christians, and, it, and light hits him in the face, and he falls to the ground, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up. And go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Sometimes the rescue of our lives is this, is this in-your-face type of rescue. It feels a little gruff, but Jesus knows what needs to happen to save us from ourselves and then to use us for his good, for his glory, for the advancement of his kingdom. I mean, Jesus hit him in the face with lightning, but he rescued his soul forever. Yeah. I mean, Paul could have gone on and probably become the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Maybe gone down in the, in the books, in history books of, of the Pharisees as, as awesome. But he'd have died Christless. And so Jesus struck him in the face with lightning. And immediately Jesus says to him, hey, I'm saving you. And I have a job for you to do. He went from being radically rescued to one who lived to radically rescue others. That was his life. Paul's life was saved and it, and it meant something to him. And he says this at the end of his life in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me. This is decades later from the lightning in the face moment. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Man, I've been there. I've been religious. I've been broken. I've been bitter. I've been on a slippery slope. And I'm so glad that Jesus still does what he says he'll do in Luke chapter 4. And that he still rescues and makes ways possible like he, like he says in Isaiah 43. I'm glad that stuff still happens. Because it saved this prideful, broken person. He rescued me. He rescued Paul. He rescued you if you follow him. So what do you need to do now with that rescue? Does it matter enough to you to be rescued that you will rescue others? Who's that one that you need to go to that's broken or lost or hurting or they don't know? Maybe they know and they don't care, but they're lost and you know them. Go to them. Maybe they don't know what they don't know and you need to go to them. Maybe they're just hurting and just languishing in that. Or like me, they're just going down a slippery slope and 
And they either don't know what to do or they just are like, oh, okay, I guess this is just my lot in life. And you can be the one to rescue them. I remember one time uh, a gentleman uh, actually yesterday uh, passed away who was very influential in my life uh, as a missionary. His name was Floyd McClung. He's one of the big founders of, of Youth with a Mission. And, and, and then he started churches all over Africa. And I remember one time he was speaking at my, at my training school in Hawaii. And, and typically on Tuesday nights when we have the speaker over, we'd have a community service like a church service. And we'd set up 120 chairs in the community center and, and we'd have 100 people there. And uh, on this particular night, we set them all up. I didn't know who Floyd McClung was. I had never heard of the man. Uh, we set them all up. Then I set up extra chairs, and so we're setting up extra chairs. And, and I go to the service, and there's like 400 people there, and they're out the doors. And I'm like, well, who is this guy? And, I, and we get done with worship, and I hear him start talking, and I, and I can't contain myself. I'm, I'm drawn. And he's talking about living your life to give away to others because he saved you. And something, I mean, it's crowded. You can't hardly get by. And I don't know what overcame me. I've never done this before. But I was like, I just got to walk up there, which is really awkward. It'd be like if somebody just started walking up here. And just like, you know, it'd be awkward. And walking up, I remember my friend Walter's like, sit down, boy, sit down. And my friend Craig's like, Scotty, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, and, I, and I'm walking up, and I get right up in front of him. And he looks at me, and I'm like, I have to go. And he goes, go where? And I said, I have to go. And he said, where does Jesus need to send you? And I said, I have to go everywhere. And he goes, yeah, because he saved you. I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, can you take a seat and we'll talk later? You know? uh, <laughs> it, was, it was awkward. And then there's nowhere to sit. So I'm like, I'm sitting on the floor. So I sat down right on the floor. Uh, it was weird. Uh, I was remembered for a long time after that. But, but here's the thing. I was so overwhelmed by the reality that God rescued me that I had to just say, I got to go, send me somewhere. And if you're not willing, do you really care? I don't know. That's your wrestle match. But who's that one? Who's that girl that just needs peace? Who's that guy that just needs to stop that lifestyle? Who's the one that's lost and doesn't know it? Who's the one that's lost and doesn't care? And you know them. Are you willing to go? One thing I love about those that we're celebrating here uh, today is that we're celebrating men and women, whether they've served in the past or they currently serve. We're celebrating those who, who say, it's not about them wanting me to save them. I, I choose to live this life in the military or in the, the police or as a sheriff's deputy or, or in the fire department. I, I choose to live this life to save people whether they want me to save them or not. I'm going to put my life on the line to rescue those people because I'm a rescuer. Not because they're saying, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm worth it. I love celebrating people who say, my life is worth nothing more than, than just serving other people. I, I want to give my life away. I'm willing to, to lay my life on the line. I'm willing to take the shots. I'm willing to, to stand in the gap. I'm willing to rush into the burning building. I love celebrating those people. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come up here, and, and we're going to celebrate uh, you here in just a second. Uh, and as he comes up, uh, we have, uh, we're going we're to have you stand here in a second, but uh, we have a gift for you that, that a, 
a couple in the, in the church said they want to make happen, and it's, it's quite an amazing gift. I've never seen anything like it in all my life in church, uh, and I've been, you know, 25 years in church, and I've never seen anything like it. Uh, but I just want to say this before I turn over to Pastor Mark to kind of lead us into this, this honoring moment, this blessing moment. Um, I really felt like you need to hear this, men and women who have served faithfully. We are a grateful nation. We are a grateful state. We are a grateful community. Um, our words could never put into fullness what you mean to us and how much we love and appreciate you. I'm a son uh, of a Green Beret. This is the son of a military man. Jeremy is the son of a military man. Pastor Josh is the son of a police officer. Jordan served as a Marine. Man, we have connections deep, but our words can never put into fullness how thankful and grateful we are, um, but we are. And uh, so Pastor Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you to, to lead, lead in that, and, and then uh, as we bless them, and then it'll be yours to, to take us home to communion. If you're, uh, if you're a military veteran, current police officer, fire, would you please stand? We want to recognize you. And stay standing. And stay standing till we tell you you can sit down. Now, I understand that this is Memorial Day and we remember those who've gone on before. Scott's dad is gone and served for many years. My dad served for 30 years in the Air Force and he's gone on, but what an honor it is to be able to, while you're still here, to get to say thank you, to recognize you because as Scott said, we know that you're willing to put your life on the line. My oldest son is a police officer up in McKinney and, and, I, and I worry whenever he goes out every day, does he, does he get to come back home and be with his family? Because he's that guy. He's going to run in first every time. And I know you guys were willing to do that too. So our usher, our, our some uh, pastors and elders are going to come around and start distributing a card to those of you uh, that are standing. So don't sit down. And I wanted to tell you too, uh, because of the faithfulness of of some of our members, uh, the work that they put into this. And, and we don't want you to open it and go, what is that inside there? So Scott said, let's, let's open one. And inside, you're, you're gonna find a really cool little bow tie. And that's a real Benjamin on the front. That, that means that's a hundred right there. And it's real, it's got all the right safety markings on it and everything. Don't, <laughs> Don't go, oh, that's cute, and throw it away, because it's real, because we really love you, and we wanted to honor you, so be sure that you use that uh, as you choose, but we wanted you to be sure that you got that. George, come here. It's opened, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, as these guys are passing things out, uh, we want to say thank you again for your service, and we do remember all those that have given their lives, that have gone on in this, uh, from this life to others, and we're grateful to them. So 
Uh, as they pass these out, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just uh, are grateful for the hearts that you've put in these men and these women, uh, that they would serve so faithfully that they'd be willing to give whatever it takes to protect our freedoms. And Lord, we remember all those that have gone on before uh, who laid down their lives, who sacrificed their families, sacrificed home uh, to protect us. And Lord, we're just grateful. But we also remember that you are the best rescuer ever. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more round of applause for these folks. This, um, this message started um, probably uh, a little over a year ago as Jeremy and I were teaching out of the book of Joshua. Uh, we were going to be teaching chapter 9 and chapter 10 through verse 15. And we'd all prepared, gotten ready. And the next thing you know, I'm driving up here on a Thursday morning at 5.15 in the morning and I hear Lauren Daigle's song, I Will Rescue You. I challenge you to go back after I get done and you listen to that song and listen to the words and you'll never listen to it the same again. And I couldn't contain myself and I grabbed my phone and I called Jeremy because he's coming from Marble and it's 5.15 in the morning. Jeremy, it's the rescue. It's the rescue. And he starts laughing on the other end. It's kind of like, you got it, finally. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't. But I, it just had such a profound impact on me and... I was probably the last guy of the seven to, to say what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, and I woke up one morning and all I could hear ringing in my ears was it's the rescue. And the teacher in me goes, well, what's that word mean? When you look up uh, the word rescue, it's to save someone from a dangerous or distressing situation, to free from confinement, danger, or evil. You know, most of the time when we think about a rescue, we think about the lights flashing, the helicopters buzzing around, the winds howling, people screaming, yelling, the adrenaline flowing. There's those rescues and we, we're drawn to those, as Pastor Scott said. We, we see those and, and it just rivets our attention. But sometimes, sometimes there's a quiet rescue that is really uh, just a soul-searching event we're going we're gonna to talk about three rescues today. One, the army swoops in for the rescue. The second one is just a one-on-one -on -one wrestling with God. And the third is the rescue of our very souls. The first is a daring rescue. It takes place in Joshua 9 through chapter, chapter 9 through chapter 10. See, Israel is moving into the promised land and they are just annihilating everybody in front of them. They are cleaning house. They started it when they left out of Egypt. They began to conquer kings on the east side of the Jordan River, and they come across to the west side, and they're doing it again. They're moving forward. And one day, they're at camp at Gilgal, and one day, some guys come wandering into camp, and they look like they've been traveling forever. And these guys uh, come in and, and say, We've come from a long way away and we've heard about you and we've heard about your God and we want to have a treaty with you. And Joshua says, 
We don't do treaties with people. Oh, but we've come from a long way away. Well, how do we know where you're from? How do we know who you are? Oh, trust us, we've come from a long way away. Uh, they never tell their name, they never tell where they're from, but they say we're from a long way, way, a long way away. And they have moldy bread that looks like they've been traveling for months. They've got busted wineskins, their shoes are worn out, their clothes are wearing out. They look like they've come from way far away. Finally, Israel agrees and they do a treaty with them. God had said, don't do treaties with people in the promised land, but they do a treaty with these people. Whole three days go by and Israel discovers where these people are from. They only go about 20 miles and they find the town of Gibeon. And the town of Gibeon are the ones that deceived. They lied, they cheated, they were self-serving. Joshua gathers up the leaders and says, why did you do this? And the leaders say, because we'd heard all about you. We were just uh, scared to death. We didn't want to die. We wanted to live. And we figured whatever we had to do to live and serve your God would be worth it. Joshua says, well, okay, we'll deal with that. We gave our word, we'll protect you. Uh, we don't like it. And Gibeon says, we will do whatever we have to do to serve you. From that day forward, they were woodcutters and water carriers for Israel. See, they had a humble heart and a repentant heart. The next thing that happens is the kings around them decide, we can't pick off Israel, but we can pick off Gibeon. So five kings come together against Gibeon. Gibeon sends out the SOS. Joshua, come save us. There's five kings coming against us, save us. Joshua and Israel do not hesitate. They take off in full armor. They travel all night long, those 20 miles. It's uphill. There's a 3,000 foot elevation between Gilgal and Gibeon. They're uphill all night long with all their armor. When they get there, they don't stop. They begin to attack those kings. They annihilate them. They clean them off the face of the earth. God even fights for them. He kills more with hail than the Israelites kill with their swords. God comes to the rescue. It doesn't matter where you are today. If you have been a liar, a cheat, deceiver, whatever that sin is, God says it doesn't matter when you come with a repentant heart, with the right attitude, and a servant's heart, I'll rescue you. It doesn't matter where you are. Sometimes there's a quiet rescue. Uh, we see that story over in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And Elijah has just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. There's been a challenge. Elijah wins. And he has all those 450 prophets killed. He's won at the hand of the Lord. Jezebel, the evil queen, says, Elijah, I'm coming for you. What does he do? He runs. For 40 days and 40 nights, he runs scared of Jezebel after all that the God had done through him. He runs and he finds himself hiding in a cave. And he goes into this cave uh, for protection. He's feeling really low. I'm the only one left. I'm the last prophet. I'm the last one trying to do what God wants. And he's hiding in a cave. 
And in uh, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11, God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Verse 11, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, Elijah recognized it was in that quiet, small voice that he heard the Lord and the Lord showed up. It was in uh, the school year of 2002, 2003. I was in my 22nd year at Leander ISD at the high school. Sixth year of being the principal of the high school. Things began to go awry during that year. It's a hard enough job, but stuff just wasn't going right. Uh, disagreements with people above me, uh, didn't like some of the discipline things we were doing. It just, the tensions began to build. And at one point, we had a, an employee who came to school one day and shouldn't have been there and said, we had to tell him, you need to go home uh, and don't come back. A few weeks go by and there's a lot of tension over that. And one day my supervisor comes to me and, and says, um, we're going to have to put them back. We're going to have to put them back on campus. And I'm sitting in my office across from my supervisor. And I said, I, I can't do that. That's not acceptable. That won't fly with me. They need to be gone and they're going to be gone. He said, no, we're going to have to put them back. And I said, let me show you how much that means to me. And I reach in my pocket. And the next thing I know, I went, I threw my keys out on the table. About the time they landed, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> what did I just do? Um, and he said, no, we don't have to do that. But long story short was, he, the guy never came back on campus, but that was like the beginning of the end. The tensions continued to build, continued to build. I mean, you don't glue that to your boss. You don't throw your keys out on the table. And then you don't go home and you tell your wife, I threw my keys on the table today. And she said, you did what? <laughs> what happened? Where, where were you going? I don't know. <clears throat> I'm standing in church one Sunday morning and I'm pretty much a creature of habit. We're sitting in our normal seat. And we're singing a song and all I remember hearing was, you're not going back. What do you mean I'm not going back? You're not going back. That's all I heard. Weeks go by, and I keep thinking about that. I'm not going back. And when you're a high school principal, uh, you wind up standing in front of people and talking a whole lot. And I found myself beginning to get to where I couldn't put sentences together. I, I couldn't fill time gaps like I could before. It just the words wouldn't come. And all I kept thinking about was, you're not going back. I'm, I'm a... Uh, Leander Lion-blooded guy. I didn't tell you, I also went there for 12 years before I went to work there for 22. 
They said, if you cut me, I bled red, white, and blue. That was our school colors. I'm part of Leander High School. Well, one morning, I'm driving to work, and um, those of you that know Leander, I'm coming by the Baghdad Community Center on my way to work, and God says a little louder and a little clearer, you're not going back. It just drove me to my knees. I had to pull off to the side of the road and I wept. It's even hard to talk about it now. I wept. I, I wrestled with God. I don't know how long I was there, but it was like, Lord, what do you mean I'm not going back? That's who I am. That's me. I've been there forever. Where else would I go? What else would I do? And he just kept saying quietly, you're not going back. You're not going back. And I struggled and I wrestled and just got exhausted uh, with trying to fight. And finally I said, okay, I'm not going back. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm not going back. And in that moment, there was a sense of peace that came on me. I didn't understand it. I don't know how that works, but I had this sense of peace. And I went, okay, I'm not going back. Um, so Lord, if I'm not going back, I need you to show me something pretty quickly. Um, I have a mortgage. I have a family. We got car payments. I got my oldest son's about to head off to college. I don't know how we do this if I'm not going back. So I tell him I okay. I give him a yes. Let me read you out of Psalm 40. I'm just going to read verse 1 and 2 and then verse 5. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. O oh Lord, my God, you have performed many wonder, wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. I have tried to recite all your wonder. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. I said yes. Where did that yes lead? Cheryl was working for Austin Community College and they were working on a project where Austin Community College would partner with Austin ISD. And she came home one day and she said, uh, we'd been talking about it, of course, but she said, we're looking how to write the job description for the executive director. And my boss, Dr. Mary Hensley, has written that job description and she said that Dr. Hensley said there's only two guys around that can do this job. One's at Round Rock and the other one is Mark Kincaid. I said, bring that thing home to me. I need to read it now. <laughs> bring that proposal home. Let me see it. So when I said yes, God began to open doors that as long as I was struggling, as long as I was pushing back, the longer and harder I pushed and didn't want to accept the rescue, I fought the rescue. God didn't show me what was next, but as soon as I did, that comes in, I get that job, and I worked there for five years, and it was an amazing time. I had a great time. 
That led to two years at Pflugerville. Now, the time at Pflugerville was not necessarily the greatest, but I met Keith McMurdett, who's the superintendent of schools now here in Burnett. That relationship that we formed in those two years brought us to Burnett. And I'm home, far as I'm concerned. It's a wonderful place to be. I refused to admit that I needed a rescue. But until God got through persistently, patiently pursuing me, He couldn't show me what was next. I couldn't imagine what was next. Jesus says, I'm your ultimate rescuer. He comes with the ultimate rescue. I, I don't know where you are today if you're needing that dramatic rescue in your life or if you need that quiet rescue because you're wrestling. I just would encourage you don't wrestle too long. Say yes. The sooner the better. The teacher in me said, okay, what are the synonyms to the word rescue? What are the synonyms? Deliver. Redeem, ransom, reclaim, save are the synonyms. I want to read you out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Let me read that again with one of the synonyms. For he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. For he has redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness. For he has ransomed us from the kingdom of darkness. For he has reclaimed us from the kingdom of darkness. For he has saved us from the kingdom of darkness. He purchased us with His very blood and His body. He purchased us. I don't know where you are today. If you're wrestling and you've never said yes to Jesus in the first place, say yes to Jesus. And watch what He does on the backside, how He blesses your life. What a wonderful thing it would be is if you said yes today, and we're going to do communion Say yes to Jesus. And then today, for the first time, celebrate communion, a real communion with Jesus. This is not a Hill Country Fellowship meal. This is a, a, the Lord's Supper. And if you believe in Him, we want you to participate with us and take it with us. If you're a little bit uh, uh, leery right now of taking the traditional communion, our ushers are going to pass that in a few minutes. But if you're a little leery of that, we do have the prepackaged ones back in the back near the sound booth. There's a couple of baskets, and you can get those at any time and, and use those. But uh, today, we're, we remember our veterans and our people who gave their life. And we also remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Every time you take it, 
Remember what I did for you. Remember. On that same night, uh, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Every time you drink it, every time you drink it, remember what I did for you. The blood that covers our sins once and for all, as Pastor Scott said. It's a meal for all of you who believe during this time that uh, we're going to take the elements. The ushers will pass those out and you feel free to take it at any time that you like during the song. If, if you want to come down to the altars, the altars are open. Come down and use the altars. Gather with your family on the side somewhere. You take it how you choose to take it during that time because it really is a communion between you and God. Please pray with me. Uh, let me ask you to go ahead and stand because as we come out of the prayer, uh, the ushers will begin to distribute the elements. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that You chose to rescue us. Lord, over these past few weeks, we've, we've looked at what a great God You are. We've, we've looked at so many character traits of You that You revealed Yourself in every part of creation. That, Lord, You're our friend. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, You, you call us friends. And Lord, You're righteous. You're holy. You can't stand to be in the presence of sin. And because of the blood of Jesus, we can come into Your presence again. Lord, You love us more than we possibly could know. You loved us so much that You sent Your only Son to reclaim us. Lord, You're a good God. You're a good Father. You give nothing but good gifts. And Lord, You're provident. You make provisions for us when we can't see a way, when we think there's nothing else to do, when we get our, our identity confused. Lord, You're there to provide for us. And Lord, You're a rescuer. You sent Jesus on the ultimate rescue mission to save our very souls. Today, Lord, we say yes. And we say thank You for being a great God. We praise You and we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit our media page on hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.